0: Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Welcome back. Today we turn our attention once again to Christianity in the 21st century. What does it mean to be a Christian today in these crazy times? How do we formulate a Christianity that makes sense for today? This is a task that should concern us all. The first week we looked at human nature and tried to reformulate what sin means in a Christian context. I argued that sin is about separation from others, from ourselves and from God. We are broken people in search of healing and wholeness. The following week, we looked at the nature of God, and I laid out a case for ditching the old white man in the sky version of God and replacing it with a panentheist view of God. God is not omnipotent as we classically think of it, but everywhere and in everything, luring us to love. Last week, I encouraged us to have have a deeply considered sexual ethic, one that is grounded in wholeness and not caught in the dualisms of the past. And today, we turn our attention to the prime figure of the Christian religion. Today, we look at Jesus. Well, we live in the American South, and down here, even mentioning the name Jesus can be triggering to some. To say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus evokes an image of a wide-eyed evangelist using the name like a magical incantation. For others, they can't hear the word Jesus without the phrase, have you committed yourself to Christ? And if you grew up in a conservative church, and we were wounded by a conservative church in some way, then so often Jesus becomes inextricably associated with those wounds. The way Jesus has been used to support politics in a decidedly non-Christian way also makes people deeply uncomfortable with invoking the name. I'm sure if you closed your eyes right now, you could see all the negative ways in which Jesus has been used. It might be personally painful. For others of us, talking about Jesus kicks our brains into theology mode. Many of you, I know, were raised in churches that taught you that Jesus was co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. Jesus is God incarnated here on earth. And then, as you began as you grew older, you began reading more things about Jesus. You discovered the so-called synoptic problem that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so similar in language that they had to be copying from one another and from other sources. All of a sudden, the Bible is not an eyewitness account of Jesus. You read about the debates in the first few centuries that led to the doctrine of the Trinity and the Council of Nicaea. And you realize that politics and the philosophy of the day both play big roles in defining the Trinity. You read about how certain gospels were left out of the canon. Over time, you became justifiably suspect of the traditional view on Jesus. So much so that when you hear the name Jesus, your mind goes to these theological arguments and you look around for someone to debate. So what are we to make of Jesus? How are we to think through who Jesus is for our faith in a context that makes sense for the 21st century? The first thing we have to do is to wrestle honestly with our sources. We have to name the elephant in the room. The only information we have about Jesus comes from the New Testament and from a few other non-canonical sources. Scholars have pored over these documents ad nauseum. As I just alluded to, the generally accepted scholarly consensus is that none of the gospels were eyewitness accounts. The oldest texts in the New Testament are the letters of Paul, and they were written 15 to 30 years after Jesus died. The four gospels themselves are usually dated between the year 64 and 110 AD. So the information that we have about Jesus is all the result of recollection and memory. And while some people have made arguments for the reliability of memory, others have made far more convincing cases for circumspection when we look at the New Testament and Jesus. Moreover, the New Testament is written from a perspective of post-Easter. We have to wrestle with how Easter and the history of the earliest church might have changed the recollections about Jesus. It's not an easy issue to solve. So what do we do? How do we deal with this source problem when we're thinking of Jesus? Beginning in the 1980s, the Jesus Seminar took one approach to this problem. They looked through every statement of Jesus and ranked it on how likely it was to have been spoken by the historical Jesus. Then they produced their own version of the Gospels that was color-coded based on the likelihood that any statement was an authentic statement of Jesus's. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen their efforts. This is, the issue with the Jesus Seminar, however, is that they had certain a priori assumptions about what was true and what was not. Other scholars of the historical Jesus have justifiably criticized them for their method and some of the choices they made. The Jesus Seminar prioritized certain sources over others and was suspect of the language of the end times and miracles, not because there was not textual evidence for them, but because those passages did not conform with their preexisting notions of who Jesus was. There is, of course, another, and I would say simpler approach to looking, at the gospel, to looking at Jesus of the Gospels. It is one that Dale Allison, a New Testament scholar at Pittsburgh Seminary advocates. After years in the field, Allison admits that nearly any single biblical passage can be called into question for one reason or another. There is no way to know for sure if any passage came from the mouth of Jesus or not. That is the reality of remembered events. We cannot know for sure about them. But while memory might not be a perfect window into the past, memory does tend to preserve the gist of what happened. So if a number of different texts in different contexts preserve common details about Jesus, we can be pretty sure that Jesus acted in some way analogous to that. He may not have said those exact words in that exact way, but he likely said something similar. And when Allison reads through the Gospels, for all their faults, he does see a relatively consistent picture of Jesus emerge, one that we can base our faith on. Jesus preached about the the coming reign or kingdom of God. That was a key element of his earthly ministry. The coming kingdom appears again and again throughout the Gospels. In fact, Jesus said it was already dawning. It had already begun to appear. What is the reign of God? The image has its roots in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. It's about the mythological promise that God will come on earth to set things right, that the earth will be filled with the righteousness of God. People will gather together in peace. People will relate to one another out of love. God will be fully present in the created created order. Jesus's vision is a fundamentally optimistic vision. Even when things are bad, even when things seem like evil, it seems like evil is winning out, there are glimpses of God's dawning order. This is indeed the good news. It calls for a radical shift in our perspective on the world. The world might seem one way, but in fact, it is altogether different. The concept of the coming kingdom melds well with the concept of God that I mentioned or I spoke about two weeks ago. God is not some old white man in the sky who will intervene to make things right. The language of the son of man coming in the clouds is allegorical. God instead is ever present and around and within us. God is luring us to to this new future, to the realization of the kingdom of God through love and the creative powers within us. Even when things are bad, God is still present, still calling us to love, still showing us the healing power of love. To see that new reality, to feel that it is happening, requires a shift in perspective. This is what we see in our passage from Mark chapter two. Even when things are bad in Israel, when the Romans are in control and various religious groups are bickering with one another for the scraps that fall from Rome's table, Jesus is enacting the kingdom. He's living it out through his earthly ministry. He's creating communities of love and compassion and fellowship because he sees the world differently than those around him. He is in touch with God's presence and wants us to be with him. He wants us to repent, to turn our lives around so we can see the kingdom coming. This is a powerful vision. It's one that can give us hope and and change the way we relate to the world. And it's a key aspect of Jesus' ministry. The second thing we can say about Jesus is that he resisted the norms of society. There are passages all throughout the Gospels where Jesus debates and argues with those in power. He turns the expectations of society on its head. We see this powerfully in our text from Mark. Jesus shares a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Table fellowship was a big deal for the Jews at the time. It was unthinkable for a rabbi to share his table with outcasts and to treat them as equals in the eyes of God. Following his meal with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus overturns conventional views on fasting and says we need new wineskins for new wine. He goes to the fields and plucks grain on the Sabbath to challenge accepted notions of Sabbath-keeping and the law. Again and again, Jesus overturns the expectations of society and challenges the powers that be. He wants people to re-examine some of the things they've taken for granted and to see a different moral order. How needed is this today? Society today places all sorts of norms and expectations on people that are not in line with God's will. Society claims that your worth is the size of your bank account. He who dies with the most toys wins. Greed is good. Society expects you to have the perfect body and do it effortlessly. Society lauds winning at all costs. We've created a ladder, a hierarchy in society that benefits those of the leg up who were lucky enough to be born to the right parents. Society encourages you to drive yourself ever harder regardless of the price you pay. I could go on and on, but you get the point. Our values in society, that which which our culture says it values most, are out of line with God's values. Jesus knew this in his own day and actively worked to bring about a new perception of what actually mattered. This is the thing. Not only did Jesus undermine society's norms, he embodied an ethic of love and compassion. He replaced those norms, those explicit and implicit expectations with love. Wherever Jesus went, the text tells us that he had care for the people around him. He didn't see the labels of the other person, especially after his interaction with the Syrophoenician woman, but saw the other person as a person. That is one of the most compelling aspects of our text from Mark 2 this morning. Tax collectors were allied with the Romans and made money by extorting the people. They were seen as traitors to their ethnicity and the embodiment of greed. And yet, Jesus could see beyond that and knew the power of love to change people. He worked with lepers with those we would consider mentally ill with sex workers and other marginalized people he used the example of a, of a samaritan to show the law of love and treated a samaritan woman by the well as an equal he said that the last shall be first and the first shall be last jesus was about love for those who most needed it the message is love the message of love is something that society always needs that we always need there's so much brokenness and trauma in the world in all sorts of ways. Think of the rancor that is going on in our nation now. I can't help but think of the Black Eyes Peas song, Where's the Love. The Black Eyed Peas are a famous pop rap group, and Where's the Love was their first big hit. It opens with these words. What's wrong with the world, mama? People living like ain't got no mamas. The whole world's addicted to the drama, only attracted to the things that bring trauma. The song, the song keeps, referring, keeps, keeps returning to its refrain. Can you practice what you preach or would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above because people got me, got me questioning, where is the love? I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Black Eyed Peas. We need the love of Jesus, authentic compassion for all humans. One final trait we see in Jesus is his healing. Jesus is, at core, a miracle worker. He heals, he casts out demons, He opens the eyes of those who are blind. This healing is a manifestation of the coming kingdom of God among us. And indeed, I would argue, that's when we see the kingdom of God most clearly. When someone who is broken finds healing, we see God. When people people can change, become whole, and start a new life, God appears. This is the nature of salvation, and Jesus brought salvation wherever he was. The powers that be will always oppose people like Jesus. The power of brokenness, of separation of trauma can be intense, but we need Jesus. We need to see the kingdom dawning. We need to overturn harmful norms and expectations in society. We need to see others through the lens of love and we need healing. If there's anything that frustrates me about some of my fellow Christians today, it's that these four aspects of Jesus sometimes get lost. Christians cease to see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and instead wait for some far off cosmic event they forget that Jesus himself worked to manifest the kingdom of God through his life and actions. They turn his message into a waiting game for an old white man in the sky to appear and reward them while punishing their enemies. Others, instead of seeing Jesus as someone who challenged conventions and overturned societal norms, others embrace those same societal norms and use Jesus to justify it. They use Jesus to maintain the status quo Were parts of it. Jesus therefore becomes the apostle of the unreg- unregulated market or someone who seeks harsh punishments against criminals. Followers of Jesus sometimes replace his message of love with a set of rules that people must follow. Those who are saved act a certain way. If you backslide or act outside the norm, you are other, less than. And instead of Jesus being a source of healing, they turn his message into an us versus them uh, world in which Christians are being constantly persecuted. I see these distortions of Jesus and it makes me wince. These tendencies towards using Jesus to justify behaviors are certainly present in liberal circles as well. No one is immune from the temptation. And that's why it's so important to return to these four aspects of Jesus and ask ourselves, how are we being a disciple of Jesus today? Are we living in such a way that we see the kingdom of God in breaking into this world? If not, what would it take to change your your perspective? Are you someone who challenges societal norms Even those norms that benefit us while making it harder for others? What's an example of that? How much do you love? Do you love only when you're loved first? Or are you willing to take that first risky step to love? When was the last time you brought healing and wholeness into the world? When was the last time you yourself were healed? Jesus has been inspiring people all over the globe for the past 2000 years. If we wanna have an authentic and vibrant Christian faith, we have to push ourselves to return to the model and example that Jesus set for us. Spend time reading the Gospels. Let yourself be inspired by them. The most famous writer on the historical Jesus was Albert Schweitzer, who published his quest for the historical Jesus in 1906. Schweitzer later built on his fame as a theologian and musician by becoming a renowned medical missionary in West Africa. He concluded his famous work on Jesus with these memorable words. Jesus comes to us as one unknown, without a name. As of old, by the lakeside, he came to those who did not know who he was. He says the same words, follow me, and sets us to those tasks which he must fulfill in our time. He commands, and to those who hearken to him, whether wise or unwise, he will reveal himself in the peace, the labors, the conflicts, and the suffering that they may experience in his fellowship. And as an ineffable mystery, they will learn who he is for that truly is the ultimate test of who Jesus is for you or for me. It is in how we follow him, in what it means to follow him, and in how those experiences shape us and reveal the ineffable character of God in Christ. What was true in 1906 is still true today, and is a calling that can continue to inspire us and others to deeper truths, fidelity to God, and a healing for ourselves and the world.